0: Well, let's turn to our passage today. Uh, We are in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Let me read for us from verse 4, reading into chapter 2, verse 4. And if you're using the Pew Bibles, they're found on page 941. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take a copy with you after the service. Uh, We'd love to bless you with God's Word. So let let me begin. Hebrews 1. Uh, picking it up in verse 4 and reading into, verse, uh, into chapter 2. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is, much, is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was delivered at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Let's pray together again. Dear Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, as we come to Your truth, we pray that You would help us to listen well, help us to pay much closer attention to this Gospel, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my car has been trying to warn me for some time now. You know, Some time ago when I started the engine, you know, a whole array of warning lights switched on in bright orange, bright red. The you know, first time this happened, you know, I was quite concerned, so I brought the car immediately to the workshop. The mechanic checked it out, and then he assured me that the car was fine. Then he reset the lights, the lights went off, uh, then that was that. And then it happened again and again. You know, in fact, as I, as I speak to you now, the lights just came on a couple of days ago and then they went off again. You know, so the, the lights have come on and off so often that I've, uh, I've learned to ignore them. You know, so if you're riding in my car with me and, and you see this whole array of warning lights, you know, don't panic. Or maybe you should. I don't know. <laughs> You know, warnings are everywhere, right? You, know, you go to a bus stop, you go to the lobby of HB blocks, and you see posters warning us about all kinds of things. You know, warning us about the dangers of killer litter, warning us about the dangers of scams, warning us about alongs. You know, the, the food we eat, the products we use, often come with warning labels about their potential hazards. You know, we we kinda of understand that. You know, we we need warnings because the world is a dangerous place. You know, for example, I need to warn my sons not to play football on the road. Right? That makes sense. You know, warnings help protect us, keep us from harm. But the trouble is, we like like me and my car, we, we don't always take warnings very seriously. You know, we, we rationalize warnings, we kind of say that you know a false alarm. We brush warnings off as alarmist, perhaps, you know, maybe you know, fear-mongering. Right? Do we really need to be so afraid of everything? You know, maybe we assure ourselves that you know, nothing bad will happen to us, life will be fine. You know, maybe we don't pay attention to warnings because warnings call for a change of behavior, a change of attitude, and that's just too troublesome or inconvenient for us. It seems easier to just carry on with life as usual than to listen to warnings and do something about it. Warnings feature very prominently in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the, 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 The warnings in Hebrews caution us concerning the spiritual dangers that we face, specifically the pitfall of taking the gospel for granted. You know, Hebrews was originally written to Christians who had become, uh, the the letter says, dull of hearing. You know, a a certain spiritual sluggishness and complacency had set in in the lives of these Christians. And they were at at risk of forsaking Jesus for what they thought was better. They were tempted to turn back to the Old Testament law and all of its practices because they thought that was better than following Jesus. You know, they had become weary and wanted to give up running the race of faith. You know, it was easier to just kind of take it easy. You know, being a Christian is hard, especially in a world that is not often very hospitable to Christians. It's easier just to stop running. You know, like them, we may also be wrestling. Even this morning, with tiredness, with discouragement. Uh, Maybe some of us are wrestling with just boredom. (laughs) Boredom, right? You know, it's just, I'm just bored of following Jesus. It's just too much the same, day in, day out. You know, our hearts may be increasingly influenced by uh, maybe a creeping worldliness, conforming us more to the culture than to Christ, you know, we live in a, in a country where, where the culture presses in very strongly on us, doesn't it? You know, the, the culture's in our face, uh, the culture entices our hearts. Maybe it's easier just to conform than to be different and to live life differently. And we may be tempted to turn away from Jesus, maybe to take the path of less resistance, thinking it's better for us. Maybe life is just a lot easier if we don't follow Jesus as much. Well, Hebrews is a warning. Hebrews is a spiritual wake-up call for us to pay attention, to pay attention to Jesus because He's better. You know, but will we heed the warnings? Right? Will we heed the warnings? You know, some years ago, my family had a chance to visit Kakadu National Park. You know, some of you, some of you may have been there. It's in Australia's Northern Territory, so a really remote place where yes, there's no cell phone reception. You know, and, and if you go to the park, in, in many places of the park, you find bright signs warning about crocodiles, crocodile attacks, and they're not trying to scare visitors because the park is home to about 10,000 crocodiles in the wild. Uh, the danger of croc attacks is very real, right? And you know you can you can check out the statistics. Every year, many people lose their lives to croc attacks. Well. Hebrews is warning us about spiritual dangers. And then because of the very real spiritual dangers, Hebrews has sort of posted these warning signs all over the letter. Hebrews contains five key warning passages urging us, you know, warning us about the spiritual dangers that we face, you know, warning us not to turn away from Jesus. And the first of these Warnings is found in our text today. If you'd like to know where the other warnings are, they're found in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, and 12. But we're going to look at the warning in chapter 2 in our text today. So this is the big idea of our passage. Since the Son is superior to angels, we should pay much closer attention to the great salvation He brings. And we'll unpack this big idea by examining three reasons why we should heed the warning, why we should pay attention to Jesus. Three reasons. Number one, the greatness of the Son. Number two, the danger of drifting away. And number three, the certainty of the gospel. And I, I, I pray that as we listen to these reasons, we ourselves would pay closer attention, but we will also help one another pay closer attention. To Jesus, So listen for yourself. Listen also for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around you know, so that you can also encourage them to follow Jesus. So reason number one, the greatness of the Son. You know, Hebrews began, as we, look, as we heard last week, by declaring Jesus' supremacy. Right? The, the, the letter starts out with this amazing statement of how in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is the full and final word from God. And then Hebrews goes on to state seven truths about Jesus. These seven truths point to how Jesus is the promised prophet, priest, and king. Now, our passage picks up where we left off last week. Here, the the argument is that Jesus is better, specifically that he's better than the angels. He isn't just another heavenly being, but he is superior to angels. Verse 4 tells us, because the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You know what, what name is Hebrews referring to? It's the name Son of God. That gives Jesus superiority over the angels. You know, so how did Jesus inherit this name? Son of God. You know, it is through his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation to God's right hand. That's the, that's the point that verse four is making. And it's connected to verse three, right? So Jesus having made purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of God, and then because of what he's done, he's received a name that is more excellent than the angels. You know, but you may be wondering, but isn't Jesus always God's son? Why does Hebrews mention that he inherited the name Son of God? Oh, yes, in in some sense, Jesus is always, or has been always the Son of God. You know, he is God's eternal son. He existed before creation. You know, the word is he's pre-existent. So for all eternity, past, present, future, Jesus is always the Son of God. You know, He's fully God. He is always the second person of the Trinity. So in that sense, Jesus is always the Son. But Hebrews isn't referring to the Son in that aspect. Hebrews is referring to another aspect of Jesus' Sonship. He is also God's Son by virtue of what He has done. He is also God's Son by virtue of His obedience, suffering and death on the cross which led to His resurrection and His exaltation. Because Jesus perfectly did the will of His Father, God the Father raised Him from the dead in glory. Jesus' resurrection is is God the Father's vindication of His Son. Because people say, hey, He was crucified because He's a sinner. Well, God the Father says, not true. And the proof of that is I'm going to raise Him from the dead, right? So, Jesus' resurrection and His ascension are His enthronement as God's chosen King. The Father has given Jesus the name Son of God as His seal of approval on Jesus because Jesus was obedient to death, even death on the cross, You know, therefore, as Philippians 2 says, therefore God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. What is the name? Son of God. It's a name that's bestowed on the victorious Son, on the victorious Jesus. Romans picks up the same idea as well, Romans 1. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power. How? By His resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is God's son, not just in terms of his pre-existence, but Jesus is especially God's son, as, as Hebrews points out here, in terms of being God's anointed king. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one who comes from the line of David, King David in the Old Testament, and, and he fulfills God's covenant promises to David so in that sense. Jesus is God's Son. And in this way, Hebrews is highlighting, in this way, Jesus is superior to angels. And to show how Jesus is superior to angels, uh, Hebrews quotes seven, you know, the the, the number seven again, the number of completion and perfection. Hebrews quotes seven Old Testament passages from verse 5 to verse 14 in our text. You know, all except two of these passages are quotations from the Psalms. I, I think this is a very helpful uh, note that that you know, Hebrews is actually teaching us how to read the Psalms. This is how we read the Psalms. Hebrews is showing us that the Psalms are primarily not about us. I know the Psalms are really personal, we love the Psalms, but... But the Psalms are primarily not about us. So hear me out. The the Psalms are not primarily about us because they're primarily about God's King. That's who the Psalms are about. The Psalms are primarily about God's King ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the promised King that the Psalter points to. That's why I say the Psalms are not primarily about us, but they're primarily about the King, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, so when we come to the Psalms, the, the first question we ask is, what does it say about me? It's, it's not, what, what does it say about me? Right? Otherwise, we get to a Psalm like Psalm 22, and, and we get a bit puzzled, right? You know, my God, my God, how have you forsaken me? You know, it's very strong language in Psalm 22. Now, how does that apply to us? So so the first thing we need to do when we come to the Psalms is to ask this question. How is this Psalm fulfilled in Jesus Christ? How does it point me to the promised King? And then, only if we understand how the Psalm is fulfilled in Christ, do we apply it to ourselves as followers of the King. That's how we're meant to read the Psalms. We understand how the Psalms point us to King Jesus, and then if we are in King Jesus, if we are followers of King Jesus, then the Psalms speak to us as His people, as His followers. So so that's how we're meant to read the Psalms. So the Psalms are really Jesus' prayer book. The, The Psalms are Jesus' words to God and God's words to His Son. That's essentially what the book of Psalms is about. So, so that's a quick aside on, on how to understand the Psalms. And, and Hebrews quotes the Psalms for this purpose. You know, these Old Testament texts, especially you know, the Psalms and these two other texts, they, they show, first of all, that Jesus is better because He's the Son. Verse 5, Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. He is the risen and exalted Son whom God has appointed as King Forever. You know, verse five quotes two Old Testament texts. First Psalm two, verse seven. You know, God says this of Jesus, You are my son, today I've begotten you. And then it quotes Second Samuel seven. It says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So these are all messianic texts. It's all speaking about God's promised king. You know, none of the angels ever had the privilege or the status of being called God's Son. Only Jesus. Second, uh, the, the, these verses go on to say that Jesus is better because he is worshipped. Verse 6. Now, verse 6 quotes not a psalm, but verse 6 quotes uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, as saying this about Jesus. Let all God's angels worship Him. Right? So the angels are called to worship the Son. And contrast this with the angel's response when the Apostle John in the book of Revelation falls at his feet and tries to worship Him. You know, this is what the angel says to John. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And the angel says to John, Hey, worship God. <laughs> Don't worship me, please. You now John was so impressed by the angel that he tried to worship him. You know, there, there's some movements in the world today. You know, some some spiritual movements, some mysticism movements that, you know, that, that's really fascinated with angelic beings. You know, maybe some people are attempted to worship angels, to be really taken by angels, to spend a lot of their time just thinking about angels, you know, reading up about angels. You know, I, I think maybe in some Christian subcultures, they, they do that as well. There's a lot of kind of fascination about angels. Uh, well, but I think Hebrews here says, don't be overly fascinated with angels. Why? Because you should worship the sun. You know, be taken by the sun, not by angels. Now, whether or not we are fascinated to worship angels or not, uh, we may be tempted to worship impressive things. Maybe the impressive things of the world. Power, prestige, fame, fortune, you know, these dazzle us, impress us, you know, maybe tempt us to worship. You know, but I think he, verse 6 reminds us that only Jesus is, worship, is worthy of our devotion and praise. Let all angels worship Him. Don't worship anything else. It says Jesus is the firstborn. Notice that, that, phrase, that, that word used to describe Jesus in verse 6? He's the firstborn. What does that mean? Well, I think in Colossians 1 is a really helpful passage. We learn from Colossians 1 that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, meaning that He created all things. He's also the firstborn from the dead, meaning that His resurrection is the first resurrection of the new creation. There'll be more to come, but He's the first. Jesus is also better because He is the everlasting, unchanging Creator. We see this in verse 7 and also from verses 10 to 12 of chapter 1. You know, these verses tell us that Jesus made all things, including the angels. Then verses 10 to 12, they they quote from another psalm, Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, Uh, that, that Psalm says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So Hebrews takes this psalm and says this is about Jesus. Jesus is the sovereign, eternal maker of the heavens and the earth. So obviously, He's superior to angels because He made them. Right? So do not love the world or the things of the world. You know, they will pass away. They will pass away. That's, that's not in doubt. Don't worship what will not last Psalm 102 reminds us that Jesus is better. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? That's what it says in, in Hebrews 13, verse 8. So friend, you know, as, we, as we read passages like this, it, it's worthwhile to pause and to ask ourselves, where is our hope? Where is our confidence? You know, what, what are we trusting in in life, what do we think will really last? What do we think will really endure in life? Is it Jesus? Is He our confidence? Or will we be disappointed in the end when all hopes fade with time? You know, we, live in an in, we live in an unpredictable world. Will we trust in the faithful one who does not change? That's the amazing Testimony of Psalm 102, Jesus does not change. Now, one of my favourite hymns is Abide With Me. If if you're planning my funeral, please sing that. It it says, Swift to its close eps out life's little day, Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. You know, change and decay in all the world, in all around I see. O thou who changes not, abide with me. You know, may this be our prayer, that we trust in the one who does not change. Well, Jesus is better also because he rules as king forever. Verse, verse 8, none of the Old Testament kings lived up to God's standard. You know, none, none of the Old Testament kings lived forever. Even Uh, the best of them, right? Even David, King David. Even his reign was marred by his own sin. David's rule and that of the kings after him, their their reigns were all cut short by death. But verse 8 in our text quotes Psalm 45, which Carol kindly read for us earlier in the service. Verse 8 reads, quotes Psalm 45 as saying, your throne, O God, referring to Jesus again, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus is Lord of all, including the angels. His kingdom is full of justice and joy. Right? Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. You know, justice and joy, That's the reign and rule of King Jesus. Why wouldn't we trust Him? Why wouldn't we trust in a king whose rule is so good? Jesus is the king we can trust for He rules forever and His kingship is only and always good and gracious. You know, he is our light in this world's darkness. And then in verse 13, our text goes on to say this of Jesus and it quotes from Psalm 110. You know, incidentally, Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the Bible, in, in the New Testament. So Hebrews quotes from Psalm 110 as saying, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet, of, for your feet. So King Jesus rules with all power and authority. That's what it means to sit At God's right hand, he has the full weight of God's power and authority, and he will rule until he finally and fully vanquishes all of his enemies Satan, sin, and death. Right? So basically, the 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 very plain argument of Psalm 110 is this Jesus wins. Jesus wins. At the end of time, he will win. He will rule until the end and He will finally win. So if we trust Him, right, if we trust Him, we will win together with Jesus. We will share in His victory. And when Jesus returns, we will experience the amazing joy of His victory, which Revelation 21 speaks about. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what it means to experience the victory of Christ. The enemies that we struggle with now, death, sin, there'll be no more. No more source of sorrow, only uncorrupted joy forever. Jesus wins. Trust Him. Trust Him. So why does it matter that Jesus is better than angels? Well, we kind of see this in, in chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, verse 2, it says, it says this about the Old Testament law, the message declared by angels. So the Old Testament law was delivered through angels. Right? There, there are a couple of places in the New Testament that refers to this. You, know, you can look at that later if you have time. Acts 7 53, Galatians 3, verse 19, there's an understanding that the Old Testament law was given to Moses. Yes, God gave it, but he gave the law to Moses through the intermediary of angels. So, so Hebrews is making an argument here, right? Jesus is greater than angels. So, so that's a key point. So, so here's the argument. If the Old Testament law was glorious, although it was put in place through angels then the gospel is even more glorious than the Old Testament law. Why? Because it was spoken to us by the Son, who is superior to angels. So so that's where this argument is going. Jesus is better than the angels, so the, the, the gospel that he brings is so much better than the Old Testament law which was delivered through angels. So basically, the the, the key point for us is to know the amazing privilege that we have. We haven't just received the law, we've heard from the Son. We've received the gospel. We have this remarkable privilege of having heard this glorious gospel that was delivered to us, not through angels, but through the Son, who is vastly Superior to the angels? Will we listen? Will we listen? Now, beloved, do we realize the, the greatness of the salvation that Jesus has won for us? Well, we have all failed to worship Him as we should. You know, every single one of us has lived for ourselves instead of submitting to this king. Yet amazingly, this king in his amazing grace, his patience, his long-suffering with rebels like us, he laid down his life to save us that we might be forgiven and brought back to God. This king doesn't just rule from a distance, but this king came and he laid down his life And He took the judgment for our sins if we repent and believe in Him. You know, friends, we are all spiritually bankrupt. You know, we bring nothing to the table but our guilt and shame. You know, we're we're all morally broke. There's nothing in our bank accounts. But Jesus freely credits us His righteousness so that our accounts are in the black, no longer in the red, that we might be made right with a holy God. We are spiritually dead, but Jesus gives us new life through His resurrection. You know, beloved, this is the great salvation that this King has come to bring. He didn't just speak to us from a distance through angels, but He came. Jesus is the great Savior we need, and in Him, we have a great salvation. Not only is Jesus better than the angels, but he even sends the angels to serve his people. Verse 14 the angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for whose sake? For ours. For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. If we belong to Jesus, then the angels serve us. The Son is the heir of all things, and we are fellow heirs with Him. Oh, beloved, what what an awesome privilege we have as God's people. Don't don't throw that privilege away, don't cast it aside as a a useless thing, but treasure it. Cherish the gospel, don't lose it. we, We have an awesome privilege as those who inherit who are to inherit salvation, you know, it's future tense, right? So it may not appear so to us now because we still struggle with sorrow, with trials, with trouble, but we look to Jesus by faith. We see the greatness of the Son. You know, we see the greatness of the hope that we have in Him and we hold on to Him. That's, that's how we are I meant to take courage from the one who is superior to the angels. So reason number two, why we hold fast, why we pay attention, the danger of drifting away. Since God has spoken to us by His Son, who's better than the angels, we must, verse 1, chapter 2, pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What's at stake? Nothing less than this great salvation. So if we reject Jesus, if we don't listen to Him, who is God's final and full word to us, then there is no other way. So pay attention because of the danger of drifting away. You know, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a particularly powerful image, isn't it? Drifting away. You know, it, it, it speaks of hidden peril. It speaks of something gradually happening to us over time. right? Something that happens quietly, something that happens oftentimes unnoticed, right? we just drift. It seems really easy, right? We just drift. Like a boat on the sea that is carried away by the current, just gently, quietly float further and further away from safe harbour. Drifting doesn't take effort. It's go with the flow. You know, we, we drift when we become complacent we drift when we stop listening, or we listen less and less. We drift when we stop paying attention to the gospel. You know, maybe we assume that we're okay right, because we, we know the right Christian answers. You know, we, we do, maybe we even do the right Christian things. Or perhaps we, we think we're fine because you know, we look back on the time when we used to be really zealous. We, we look back on the time when we had a spiritual or religious experience we kind of always look back, right? Oh yeah, I remember the days 10, 20, 30 years ago when I was on fire, you know, surely I'm okay because of all that that happened in the past. But what about us today? Are we still zealous for Christ today? Are we still following Him today? Hebrews warns us not to neglect such a great salvation. You know, the word neglect simply means to become careless or unconcerned. You know, during COVID, some of us may have seen our shoes fall apart <laughs> as they gathered dust in our cabinets, right? neglected and unworn, right? especially, especially our nice, really nice dress and work shoes, right? The, the ones that are made of leather. Right? We, we see the leather begin to crack. You know, our shoes lost their soles, so to speak. You know, the the gospel is like that. The gospel is a wonderful treasure. But if we just put it in the cabinet, we we will lose it if we don't use it. Uh, These verses remind us not to take the gospel for granted. You know, beloved, we we need to realize this, that we we don't actually have to renounce the gospel to lose it. We simply have to neglect it. You know, we, we may think, oh yeah, we've heard it all before. Such an easy, simple, familiar message. Maybe we crave for something more exciting. Maybe we crave for something that tickles our fancy, that kind of piques our curiosity a bit better. Maybe we crave for something better. Have we been neglecting such a great salvation? You know, think about these diagnostic questions, right? Am I still trusting in God for the gospel? Am I thankful to Him? Am I trusting in Jesus and His righteousness? Or am I going about trying to establish by my own efforts my right standing with God? My reputation? Is it about how much I can do or what a good person I am? Or am I trusting in Jesus? Do I continually see my own need for the gospel? Am I still grieving over my sins? Or do I take them lightly and excuse them? Am I regularly listening to, obeying, and applying God's word to myself? Right? Not just saying, here, yeah, I think that person really needs to hear this. No, but am I applying it to myself first and foremost? Am I grateful for this gospel community, the church? You know, am I gathering regularly? with God's people for worship and encouragement? Am I growing in concern for this gospel community, for the spiritual and temporal needs of other members in Christ's body? Am I reflecting the gospel more and more by growing in love, patience, compassion, righteousness, justice, forgiveness, that's what it means to use the gospel right, to to reflect gospel truths in how we relate to one another. You know, many things cause us to drift. It may be suffering, trials, and opposition can discourage us, and make us want to give up. Busyness may cause us to drift. You know, we we are so caught up with life, right? school, work. Relationships, parenting, etc. You know, we we get so preoccupied with life that we get distracted from Jesus. Success may cause us to drift, as Marcus prayed you know, earlier on in his prayer of confession. We we forget Jesus when life is going so well. You know, everything's going our way. You know, we, we got everything covered. You know, we're in control. Everything's great. You know, maybe we get a bit self-sufficient. Self-reliant, comfort often makes us complacent. Beware of drifting away because the danger is real. It doesn't take a big sin to draw us away from Jesus, just accumulation of many small, seemingly insignificant ones that we tolerate and excuse. Death by a thousand cuts, that's what it means to drift away from Jesus. For example, you know, you may say, hey, it's okay to speak that way. It's just a slip of the tongue. You know, it's okay to say that. a you know, little gossip doesn't hurt anybody. It's okay to be, remain angry because that person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. You know, it's okay to lash out at my spouse and children because I've had a really rough day. You know, it's okay if I sneak a peek at that website because I need to de-stress. De- it's okay to date a non-Christian, because otherwise, how am I going to get married? It's okay if I skip gathering with the church on Sundays. I'm just too tired. It's too far away. I'm too busy. You know, in, in C.S. Lewis's fictional book, The Screwtape Letters, you know, it's, a, it's a really helpful book. It speaks with a lot of insight about the nature of Humans, right, the nature of temptation. Right, so in, in this book, uh, Senior Demon Screwtape gives this advice to his nephew Wormwood on how to bring about the fall of man. And then Screwtape says this to Wormwood, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope Soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Beware of drifting away, because the consequences are devastating. Verse 2 and 3, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. All who disobeyed the Old Testament law were punished. That's that's the point that verses 2 and 3 are making. For example, a whole generation of Israelites perished in the wilderness because they refused to listen to God and enter the promised land. They they failed to persevere. They failed to keep trusting God to the end. So So the author of Hebrews is making this argument. If God punish those who broke the old covenant which was delivered by angels how much more will he judge those who reject the message spoken by the Son God holds us accountable for how we respond to the gospel you know, here you've heard the gospel you've heard the good news of how Jesus alone saves sinners through his death and resurrection You are now accountable to God. You are now culpable in God's sight for what you do with this message. And God will hold each one of us accountable for how we respond to this gospel. There's no escape if we reject it. We cannot be saved if we drift away from the gospel, because there is no other savior. God has spoken finally and fully by His Son. It's no one else. No one else coming after Him. Without Jesus, we face the wrath of a holy God against us for our sin. We face hell. Without Jesus. And friends, we need to realize that these warnings are not theoretical. These warnings are not hypothetical. But they're real because the danger is real. You know, some of my saddest experiences as a pastor is seeing how some who used to call themselves Christians have stopped following Jesus. You know, not everyone who claims to be a Christian will be saved. Only those who persevere in faith and obedience to Christ until the end. You know, may God use these warnings to shake us out of our spiritual stupor. May the warnings spur us on to hold fast to the gospel. You know, I pray that we would not be indifferent to one another's spiritual condition as well. You know, these warnings are for us. These warnings are for us to encourage one another, to pay attention to the gospel. This great salvation is at stake you know, there are a number of, as, as we said in the members' meeting last week, you know, there are a number of, of members who have stopped gathering regularly with us. Let's not be indifferent to their spiritual health. Reach out to them. Ask them, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How, how are you doing? Are, are you following Jesus? If, if you are, then can I encourage you to gather with His people? Because this is part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. We, we do this in community, together. Friends, let's not be indifferent to one another's spiritual health because there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake. Reason number three for why we should pay attention, the certainty of the gospel, verses three and four. Pay attention to the gospel because it is true and it is reliable. We can stake our lives and eternal destiny on it. Now, how can we be so sure about the gospel? Well, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit confirms it. Right, verse 3, the Son has confirmed it. It was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came in the flesh to proclaim the good news. More than that, he accomplished the good news through his death and resurrection. This is our assurance that the Son has come to save sinners like us. You know, the message was further confirmed by eyewitnesses who heard and saw Jesus in the flesh. Verse 3, it was attested to us by those who heard. You know, incidentally, this tells us that the author of Hebrews was probably not an apostle since the gospel was confirmed to him through those who heard. Well, these, eyewitnesses, these eyewitness accounts have been written down for us so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in His name. Where have they been written down? It's the New Testament. The New Testament is essentially the apostolic testimony, a collection of eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is and what He's done. So we continue to listen to Jesus. We continue to pay attention. How? By reading our Bible by being in the Word of God that reminds us again and again not to take the Gospel for granted. And God Himself has confirmed the message. As we saw earlier in chapter 1, all the Old Testament quotations are presented as God speaking to His Son. So again and again, He confirms the message about Jesus. And God also has borne witness by signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit, distributed according to His will. God confirmed the witness of the apostles by giving them authority to perform signs and wonders by granting them His Spirit. We no longer need signs and wonders today to prove the Gospel. Why? Because we have the apostolic testimony written down for us. The Gospel is true because God says so. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us. It's got, because we can take God at His Word to so anchor ourselves in the Word of God. You know, to reject the Gospel is to reject what God has said about His Son. First John 5 says, Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. Beloved, the Gospel is certain. So pay attention. It is our hope and confidence in life death, therefore hold fast to it. The gospel will not let us down. Heed the warning. Do not give up. Pay attention to Jesus because of the certainty of the gospel. Pay attention because of the danger of drifting away. Pay attention because of the greatness of the Son. Let's pray together.